Colossians chapter number one. Colossians chapter number one. We've finished now our series on the book of Exodus. We went through all 40 chapters. We are now in between our series as what we typically do here at the Bridge Church is we preach through books of the Bible. The next book that we'll be studying is 1 Peter. We'll start that in the month of February. Over the next several weeks, I want us to take some time on a small series that's, that's called This Is Us. This is a series about the DNA of the Bridge Church. We've been blessed to have a lot of new people over the last six months, and I'm grateful to God. So I think it's important for us just to make sure that we're all on the same page about who we are. So we're just going to take some time to talk about the foundation, the fundamentals, our mission, our purpose, our values as a church. So today, we're going to look at, first of all, this is us, Christ-centered. This is us, Christ-centered. We are a Christ-centered church. This is us. So we want to look today at Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse number 15. We'll go through verse number 20, then we'll skip down to verse number 28. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse number 15. Our custom here at the Bridge Church is to stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. We believe God's word is authoritative. And so we look to God, and so we honor God, his word, because it is truth. Colossians chapter 1. Verse number 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Skip down to verse number 28. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. No church can rise any higher than its exalted view of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell me what you think of Christ, and I will tell you everything else about your life and your ministry. 
Tell me what you think of Christ and I will tell you the state of your worship, the standard of your holiness, and I will tell you of your involvement in evangelism and missions. Everything, friends, hinges and depends upon our lofty view of the Lord Jesus Christ. A high view of Christ leads to a high view of his word and a high esteem for the preaching and teaching of the word of Christ. A high view of Christ leads to a high standard of holiness for us personally and for his church. A high view of Christ leads to a high view of reaching the world for Jesus Christ. Conversely, friends, a low view of Christ leads to a low view of his word and a low esteem for the preaching of his word. A low view of Christ leads to a low standard of holiness. And a low view of Christ leads to a low view of reaching the world for Jesus Christ. All of our ministry hinges and depends upon our view of Jesus Christ. Friends, we at the Bridge Church are and will be, as long as I am the leader of our church, a Christ-centered church. This is us. Let's look first of all at the person of Christ-centered ministry. The person of Christ-centered ministry. This person Paul, in chapter 28, he says, him we proclaim. We must go back to find out the antecedent of him. Who is him in verse 28? Great question. First of all, Paul makes clear in this letter that he is writing to the Colossians that Jesus Christ is supreme. Jesus Christ is preeminent. Jesus Christ is supreme. In what ways is Jesus Christ supreme? First of all, Jesus Christ is supreme over all creation. That's Paul's first lesson to us, is that Jesus Christ is supreme over all creation. Look at chapter verse 15. He says he is the in image of the invisible God. The word image is icon in the Greek. It has to do with an exact replica, a precise copy, a representation. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ and in Christ, the nature and being and will of God is perfectly revealed. In Jesus Christ, the invisible has become visible. Jesus reveals God. Jesus reveals God because he is God. I've told you before, the way to think of Jesus as being the image of God is by, is by thinking that Jesus is the selfie of God. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. He's the image of the invisible God, but he's also the firstborn of all creation. That's the B part of verse 15. Now we must, 
be clear that this, this, this clause does not mean that Jesus is a created being. No, 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 no. Friends, that is what we call heresy. If Jesus were created, then he could not be God. As a creature, he, a created being, he would be less than God. If Jesus Christ were a created being, he would be affected by the fall. And if he is fallen, then he would be unqualified to die for the sin of the world. We believe that Jesus is very God, a very God, begotten, not made. So then what does it mean when Paul calls him the firstborn of all creation? Firstborn, friends, in our text deals with rank and status. It deals with preeminence, honor, and supremacy. Not necessarily the first to be born. In Psalm number 89, verse 27, it is said of David, before he came king, he said that I would, God says, I will make him the firstborn. That would be strange if you realize that David was actually the youngest of all of his father's sons. So what God is saying when he calls David and the Davidic king, the firstborn, he is saying that David would have rank and status of a firstborn because God chose him to be the exalted and honored king who would rule the nation. The firstborn is the one who inherits the power and authority of his father. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation and that he is the exalted son. He has supreme rank over all creation. He is king of kings and lord of lords. The supremacy is evident that he has all the rights to the father's inheritance. Jesus Christ is supreme over all of creation because he's also the agent of creation. Verse 16 and 17. In validating the supremacy of Christ, the apostle writes, for by him all things were created. Christ is supreme because he is the unique agent of all creation. All things were created through him. Without Christ, friends, nothing would exist. In creation, we see every member of the Trinity working. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the Father. And he said, that's the word, Jesus Christ. And the Spirit was hovering. There is the Spirit. All of the Trinity was involved in creation. And so Paul says Christ is supreme over all powers, all rulers, because he is the agent, the intermediary cause of everything. 
Christ is also preeminent and supreme over creation because all creation exists for him. All things were created through him. Now we get us a new prepositional cause. All things are created for him. The goal of all creation is the glory of Christ. Friends, hear me. Many people lack purpose in life because they don't realize that they were created for Christ. In Christ, creation finds its reason for being. In Christ, all of the universe finds its value and meaning. Christ is supreme over creation also because he existed before all of creation. Paul says he is before all things. In other words, Christ pre-exists creation. He must be God then. Because he is before all things, he is preeminent above all things. Furthermore, all things are held together by Jesus Christ. Christ not only created all things, but Christ also sustains all things. He keeps the universe all together. If Jesus Christ stopped being Jesus Christ, if he stopped holding the world together, the world would all come apart. Without Christ, the world would fall apart. The universe then is not self-sufficient or self-sustaining. The entire universe depends upon Jesus Christ. He is Lord of creation. Jesus Christ is supreme over all creation. Not only is he supreme over all creation, he's also supreme in his church. Verse 18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church. When, when Paul speaks of Christ being the head of the body, he's saying that Jesus Christ is the source and the origin of the church. As head of the church, he gives life to the church. As head of the church, he grows the church. As head of the church, he guides the church. As head of the church, he controls and directs the church. Christ, friends, is the authority of the church. There is no higher authority in the church than Jesus Christ. There is no equal to Christ in the church. He is the head of the church. Thus, there should never be a power struggle in the church. As we keep reading, in verse 18, the Apostle Paul says that this Christ is supreme in the church also because he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Let me give you, let's make sure we understand these two ideas of beginning 
and firstborn from the dead. By beginning, he's referring to Christ being the beginning of the church. But remember, the church is a new creation. So then, Christ is not only supreme over the original creation, Christ is also supreme over the new creation. Christ is the beginning of this new era, this new age. This idea of firstborn, remember, refers to rank and honor. Thus, Christ has supreme rank by way of his resurrection from the dead. Christ is supreme in the church because he himself shed his blood on the cross bringing reconciliation to the entire world. Friends, this is the hymn that Paul proclaims, the supreme preeminent Christ. That's the the man of Christ's center ministry. Paul now gives us, as we skip to verse 28, the methods of Christ-centered ministry. He says, him, verse 28, we proclaim. We talked about the him. Let's talk about the we. Y'all are thinking if he goes word by word, we are never going to get out of here. (laughs) Him, we proclaim. This we is not just Paul and his ministry team. I believe that the we refers to all of those that belong to Christ. Friends, this is important. The ministry of the proclamation of the gospel belongs to all Christians. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the elders. It's not just for church leaders. It's not for the spiritual elite. It is for all those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the redeemed of the Lord ought to say so. So we proclaim Christ. Christ-centered ministry is a ministry of proclamation. In other words, it's a word-based ministry. In other words, if we are going to be a Christ-centered ministry, we are going to have to open up our mouths. You do not have the right to be silent. Now, when we think proclamation in this context, I don't want you to think immediately preaching as I'm doing right now. The word proclaim means to report, to tell, to announce. Word-based proclamation ministry can happen in multiple contexts. It's happening right now as I preach to you, but it also happens when we evangelize, when we, when we verbally announce the good news of Jesus Christ. A proclamation can also happen in discipling relationships when you are helping others become more like Jesus Christ. Proclamation ministry, word-based ministry can also happen in counseling relationships. 
Word-based ministry happens in small groups. Word-based ministry happens in corporate worship. That's what we've been doing this morning. When we gather for worship, we sing the word. We preach and hear the word. We pray the word. We read the word. And we see the word through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. This is all the ministry of proclamation. Christ-centered ministry means the focus is always Jesus Christ. He says, him we proclaim, and this is how he does it. He says, warning everyone and teaching everyone. The word warning has to do with giving encouraging counsel in light of sin and the inevitability of of coming chastening and discipline. To warn someone, admonish someone, is to forewarn that person that if they continue down a certain path, it will only lead to trouble. And friends, this is a necessary ministry of the church. We don't like this kind of ministry of proclamation of warning. See, when we start to call out one another, rebuke one another in a loving and gentle way, here's how we Christians like to respond. Don't judge me. Sometimes that that scripture seems like it's as as famous as uh, John 3.16, for God's love of the world, that he gave his only begotten son. The one other one that Christians love to quote, judge not. Friends, actually, we are commanded, if we keep reading in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 16, Paul commands us, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing, there it is again, one another in all wisdoms, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. It is my biblical responsibility as your brother and sister in Christ to warn you about pending, impending destruction based on sinful behaviors and patterns. I gotta do it to be faithful to Christ. But now, I can't be a jerk about it. I have to do it in a loving and gentle way. Now, there's two parts of this. Not only is there the responsibility of someone to warn, but there's also the response of the other person to be humble enough to hear the warning. That's the other problem we have. We don't want anybody else to call out our sin. It requires humility. We got to keep moving. He says, we're warning everyone and we're teaching everyone. We must communicate the Christian truth. We must teach all that Christ has commanded. Here's something that's interesting, though. He says, warning everyone and teaching everyone. The word of God is not for a spiritual elite class of people. It's for Jew and Gentile. It's for rich and poor. It's for country and city. I prefer country. It's for black and white. It's for Asian and Hispanic. It's for American and Chinese. 
It's for African and European. What? It, it's for everyone. That's our mission field. Let's get out of here. Finally, so we've seen the person or the man of Christ-centered ministry. We've seen the methods of Christ-centered ministry. But let's look at the goal of Christ-centered ministry. Him we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone, here's the goal, that we might present everyone mature in Christ. There it is. That's the goal of Christ-centered ministry. Friends, the ultimate goal of Christ-centered ministry is not to be a megachurch. Megachurches are not sinful, wrong, so don't hear me say that. If that's how the Lord wants to bless, Lord, anyway, you bless me. <laughs> I'll be satisfied. <laughs> but that's not the goal. Actually, if we get mega, we need to be planting churches, but that's a different sermon. That's not the goal. The ultimate goal of Christ-centered ministry is not even evangelism. <laughs> the ultimate goal of Christ-centered ministry is not even just to get people into heaven. The ultimate goal of Christ-centered ministry is maturity in Christ. Friends, this is how you evaluate success in ministry. Some would say the Bridge Church is not being as effective. Some would say because we haven't seen as many people come to faith through the Bridge Church. Some would say we're not effective because we're not as involved in the ministry, uh, in the community. Some would say that we're not as effective because we don't have enough people in the seats. Some would say we're not as effective for all these other... No, 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 no. According to Apostle Paul, the goal of Christ in the ministry is to help people grow up in Jesus Christ. So that when they come before the judgment seat of Christ, on that final day, when they meet their maker, that they may be presented spotless, blameless, without blemish. How do we evaluate the success of our ministry? Are people growing in Jesus Christ? Are their affections for Jesus deepening? Now, this is not to negate all the other ministries and programs of the church. We need to be evangelizing. We need to be involved in our community. We need to be sending out missionaries. All those things we do. But the ultimate goal is maturity in Christ. For, for all of us to look like Christ. That's the goal. Conformity to the image of Christ. We need to be replicas, representations of Jesus Christ. It ought to be said, when I see those folks from the Bridge Church, ooh, they sure look like they're Jesus. I pray that the world, our community, doesn't, doesn't respond like Gandhi, who said, I like your Christ, but I dislike your Christian. It all be said. I see those Christians. They look their Christ. I want him. Our lives ought to be a witness 
So friends, I want that to be an encouragement to us as you think about our effectiveness in ministry. I want to see more people come to faith through our ministry. I want to see more people baptized. I want to see us more involved in community. But Paul says the ultimate goal of Christ-centered ministry is maturity, spiritual adults. What do spiritual adults do? They, 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 they reproduce. They are spiritual fathers and mothers. They are pouring in to those who are younger. That's what we're looking for. So friends, what I've tried to communicate this morning is simply this. This is us. We are a Christ-centered church. And everything we do is for the glory and exaltation of Christ. So when we, the way we start, when we talk about how we're going to do ministry, it has to be from this focus. Christ being exalted. See, the problem in many of our churches is that it starts with the people. What can we do to make the people comfortable? What can we do to make the people coming back? No, no, no. The focus has to be Christ. And Jesus Christ himself said that, 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 that if he be lifted up, oh, I'm about to take off and run, y'all. He says, I will draw all men unto me. Let's make Christ the main attraction of our church. We may not have every program that every other church has, but, if, but we do have a Christ that we can exalt. We may not have the biggest building, that, but we do have a Christ that we can exalt. We may not have the most money, but we have a Christ that we can exalt. You may not have the best pastor, I would beg to differ, but we have a Christ that we can exalt. Let's stand. All of our ministry is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It defines who we are. It defines what we do. He defines how we do it. Let's exalt Christ. This is us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, God, not to just be hearers, but doers of your words. Father, as we leave this place, help us to continually adore Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the body, the church, the creator of the world and the sustainer of the world. Help us to keep Christ at the center of our ministry. Christ, the center of our church. Christ, the center of our lives. God, help us to strive to grow up and be mature in Christ, to look more like Christ, to live more like Christ, to give more like Christ, to be more compassionate like Christ, to talk like Christ, to look like Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, you are commissioned and sent.